Welcome to the Warriors of Education podcast, bringing you heartwarming and real conversations with teachers on the front line of education from across the country. I am Karen Sarah Watson, and I am a teacher. This podcast is for those who want to better understand the experiences of today's teachers. Come join us. Welcome to the Warriors of Education podcast. Today we have Rebecca Gorelli on. Rebecca is an educator and an activist from Arizona. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And so tell me about yourself, what you're doing, and um, your activism. I'd love to hear your story about what's happening in Arizona. Sure. Well, I'm uh, basically, this is my 16th year in education. Um, I've had multiple jobs in the education field, mainly in the classroom as a middle school math and science teacher. And I've also um, become a lead organizer for Arizona Educators United, which is a grassroots coalition of educators, community members, um, advocates. Basically, a lot of us are union members, um, but we do have a lot of members that are non-union members. So our group is really for anybody who's looking to, you know, move forward the education landscape here in Arizona. Great. So tell me, can you tell me about your activism and your work there in Arizona, what you've done with teachers? Sure. So back in 2018, um, when we saw the amazing power and the amazing strikes happening that sparked with West Virginia um, and then rolled on to Oklahoma and Kentucky, we really, there's a group of us that were really thinking about, okay, how can we take this energy and harness it and really drive it into something that is really going to be powerful and sustainable? And so we created, uh, there was a group, about nine of us, that created the group Arizona Educators United on Facebook. And so through that space that we opened up, uh, we were able to, you know, connect to thousands of educators within an instant. And so we, we designed this Facebook page at the beginning, and then sort of over the next eight weeks, starting in early March, we did an organizing blitz um, with escalation strategies and tactics to really connect with teachers, to tell their stories, to connect with community and have those voices uplifted and really connect with our local businesses as well to get them kind of supporting us with putting signs um, up in their businesses. And we really had this eight week sort of organizing blitz where we just connected with everybody we could. We told our stories in as many ways as we could. We got in the face of the public in as many ways as we could. Um, and so that was just kind of the summary. It took us eight weeks to really build this power and build this foundation of a rank and file educator network to really join together around a set of demands that would really help push forward our education in Arizona. So what motivated that to happen? What, what were some of the conditions you were asking for? Yeah, so the issues that were widely and deeply felt uh, by all educators were mainly the lack of funding over the past 10 years, um, ever since you know, 2008 and the recession, the massive austerity. Um, I think educators were already at the boiling point. Uh, we are last in the nation for basically every single education statistic that exists. Per pupil funding, uh, teacher's salary, class size were last in the nation. And so teachers in Arizona are just, they're just at, the, at their breaking point, right? They had, the tipping point was there and the, these issues were felt everywhere, right? Like we, we have 
degrees and we're professionals, yet we're not being treated like professionals. And then there's the student side where we have these wonderful students that have needs and they're not being met because of the lack of resources and the lack of funding. And so those issues were widely and deeply felt. So it was sort of easy to, to, to really say, okay, we're going to organize because people were ready. They had been so you know, demoralized by the austerity measures year after year after year and just being pushed aside and have funding cuts for so much time that it, it, it wasn't like we had to agitate anybody. You know what I mean? The, the issues were so deeply felt that people were ready to go. They were excited about, you know, an opportunity to join together with other educators and really figure out a way to uplift our collective voice. And so, I mean, I think people were just ready to go and West Virginia really gave us the courage to actually start moving towards that path of activism. You know, we were, um, I'm in New York City, as I've said, and we were really pulling for Arizona. We, I remember we had a Red for Ed day where we wore red shirts and we put signs up for Arizona. So we've been, I've been following Arizona, the teacher movement and for you, um, I had an interview with someone from the Oklahoma movement. Hopefully I'll have something with someone with West Virginia and it's pretty amazing what you did. So tell me how successful it was. Were you able to meet your demands? Like what happened with that? Yeah. So, um, so we had five demands, which were basically centered around, you know, one was restoring funding to 2008 levels. I mean, it wasn't even that we wanted to be at the levels that we should be. It was put us back where we were 10 years ago. Um, and so the other demand was, you know, a 20% raise for educators, reinstalling, um, you know, st steps and lanes in the salary structure, which were taken away. So every year you work, you get no increase, right? And that's not sustainable. And really uplifting our educator support professionals, our classified staff to have a living wage. Um, so they're not working on starvation wages. That was part of our demands. And so those were demands that we collectively decided on through, you know, various surveys, member discussions, some informal comments on Facebook, you know, we just kind of put it all together in a package. And so we crafted these demands and asked people to sign on to them, right? Built a petition. We had over 45,000 people, I believe it was, that signed on very quickly to these demands. Um, and after that, you know, we started to build out our structures. And basically we used a combination of online tools like Facebook and Twitter, um, using Google Forms and Action Network and also using in-person meetings because what we know about organizing is it can't just be all online. And so we had to build a hybrid model of, okay, we're gonna do these things. We're gonna open spaces via Facebook, lots of spaces. We opened a main page. Then we had a linked page for discussions where people can voice their concerns, find others that you know relate to what their story is. Uh, we also built uh, what we call the liaison network. I'm not sure if you heard about this, but we basically built a bona fide union structure outside of the actual union. Wow. What that looked like is, yeah. And what that looked like is we asked for volunteers and said, you know, if we're really gonna do this, you know, everybody was calling for strike, let's go, let's go, let's do a strike, you know? And it's like, okay, sure, but let's slow down. Let's organize a plan. Let's figure out a way to do this so that the community knows what's happening. Because if we just go on strike without connecting to our communities, it will not be successful. Because, you know, most times teachers, teachers are the ones that have the connections to the community. So we have the way to 
to explain things of what's really happening. We can talk to our parents, talk to our communities. And so we really had to think about, okay, how do we do that? And how do we do that in a way that's not, you know, really political or scary or aggressive? And so we just designed different ways um, through escalating measures. For example, we started with Red Fred Wednesdays. Then we asked people to, on Red Fred Wednesdays, take pictures with your whole staff. We asked liaisons, which were volunteers, at every single site to join our group, sign up at, during a, like through a Google form, and then we built this, this beautiful network of over 1,200 sites that had a representative from our grassroots movement, which actually turned into 2,000 liaisons. We had over 2,000 liaisons across the state by the time we were done. And so what that meant is we had a point of contact in every single site. And so we could say, okay, our next thing we're gonna do liaisons is let's hold 10 minute meetings with the members in your site and get their information in a Google form so that you can communicate with them and then communicate with us. And so we built this large communication structure. So as we moved through our organizing blitz, we had ways to connect to people. We were able to give them really clear instructions of how to do a walk-in, how to you know, fly your parents, how to have conversations and talking points about budgets and funding and things that seem scary to people. We provided the tools for them to feel empowered to actually take that stand and connect to the communities. And so for us, our major success was building this liaison network and having a communication structure that we could funnel information in and out of very easily. And so we were all on the same page. We were all working towards the same goal, working with the same talking points. Uh, people would create, you know, palm cards and informational flyers so we could, you know, do picketing at our schools. And we just had all the tools in one place ready to go. Um, and so for us, we also worked with the union, which is um, not the case in every state. Uh, we were fortunate enough to have a union that were parallel partners who helped us with resources and, you know, there were thought partners. We, we thought through different strategies and tactics. And so some of our liaisons were actually doubled as site reps, like union reps. And so that was, that enhanced our power, right? So we're really fortunate that we had that working relationship with them. And we strategically built over these eight weeks an escalation plan of getting liaisons, asking people to wear red shirts, take pictures at your sites, then we moved on to, uh, we held a rally, we had a protest, right? We had little structured tests along the way to see how many folks are we reaching, how many folks are, uh, you know, joining in these conversations. We had links for people to show up to kind of take attendance, to kind of check our reach. Um, and so, and then we built out the, what we call the Community Solidarity Month. All of April, we focused on talking to our parents, talking to small businesses, canvassing businesses, asking them to put up those iconic red for ed signs in the windows that you saw everywhere. We also um, asked educators to build these community events in their local. So we empowered people to start organizing in their little region. Instead of just saying, okay, this is a one size fits all, it's gonna work for everybody. We said, hey, whatever works in your region, here's some ideas. Let's build some community events where we put on our red shirts, we get together in the community, we have informational flyers, and people are gonna start asking questions, right? When they start to see 
hey, there's this group of people wearing red shirts. What are you guys? Who are you guys? What are you doing? And it allows people to be, you know, invited into those conversations. And so we did that in parks, at rec centers, wherever we could find space. And we actually, one of our greatest other tactics was we painted our cars with window markers. And so we get together in a park. We called it Paint the State Red for Ed because we needed we needed to build so much awareness, so much community that we're like, what, what's a simple way? Like we could do rallies and, and you know, all these things. But man, if I'm driving on the highway and I see 10 cars around me that are painted red for Ed, I'm feeling pretty good about my solidarity at this moment. And so we had these events where we painted cars and teachers, of course, are the most creative organizers on the planet, <laughs> yes. right? Like this, this is our jam. We are good at this kind of stuff. And we had people creating beautiful funding graphs on their cars. You'd see a minivan down the highway with like a pie chart about 2008 funding levels and class size and teachers just took off and ran with this. And it was incredible. It was like, we knew by the time we got there, like, okay, we see cars everywhere painted red for Ed. We know that we're, we're gaining some ground here. And so then we moved on to walk-ins. We had walk-ins for three weeks and we asked people to take attendance to really see, okay, where, where are we at? Who's with us? And so we had a link for community members to, you know, take attendance for community. We also had a link for every site to build a walk-in event so we can track all that data as well. And so we did three weeks of that and people were starting to get a little antsy, like, okay, I've done your cute walk-ins, like I'm ready to go on strike now. <laughs> and so, you know, it was a little bit of like, we need to push for this escalation, but a lot of people were getting anxious and how do you calm that down? And so we set a goal and we said, okay, if we can get 1000 schools doing walk-ins, that means we can get 1,000 schools walking out. If we hit that goal, we'll go to a strike authorization vote. And the very next week with the walk-ins, we had over, a, I think we hit 1,200 sites. Wow. We surpassed the goal. And so we're sitting here with our mouths wide open going, okay, so we met the goal. I guess we take a strike vote. That's what comes next. And so we did. So what was the result from it afterwards? So, it sounds, it's, for, first, it, it sounds the, the organizational aspect is amazing and it's amazing in itself. Even if you, it, nothing happened, what you created was incredible, but I'm curious what happened from there. Yeah, so that was at the you know, peak of our escalation. And um, again, we, we called upon our liaisons and used the union site reps to take this paper ballot vote in person. And the results came back um, with 78% of teachers voting yes. So that was a mandate to take some action and we set a strike date. Wow. Yeah. So it went from there. So it went from there. Yeah. And, what was and that's just a summary, really. I mean, there were many other events and things we had done along the way. That's just kind of the overview. So what happened after is my question about how did they respond to your demands? Did you, did you get what you wanted in the end? So um, through various letters sent to the governor, we asked, um, you know, we had some leaders who had asked to sit at the table and, you know, negotiate, figure things out. They were ignored. Um, we were called a political circus. Um, 
of course, and just totally ignored. So we set the strike date and we pushed. Um, and what's interesting is the governor obviously went for the bread and butter issues, which you know we knew was gonna happen and built what he called the 20 by 2020 plan because one of our demands was a 20% raise for all certified educators, all certified, meaning art teachers, um, you know, anybody who didn't have a homeroom, um, you know, all special teachers, et cetera. And his plan was in by three years, by 2020, that all certified teachers would have a 20% raise, but there was a caveat to his plan. He only provided it just like most of the raises over the course of history in Arizona, only to classroom teachers of record, only people who had a homeroom. That is not what we wanted. We wanted all of our, you know, all of our educators that were uh, certificated to have this raise. And so he won the media game with that. Oh, he, oh, okay. He's giving teachers what they want, 20%. And of course, we, we know that that's not true, right? He pulled the wool over the sheep's eyes or whatever that phrase is, right? And so um, he really just, so it, it, when you think of the five demands, it was we partially got one of them and that's it through oh, that effort. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, this, it's this whole thing about the teachers are last the last people to get anything. It just, education is the most important thing. One of the most important things in this country is education and all of that work, everybody's heart set in it. And, and, and that's it. That's all you got. That is. Yeah. You, I mean, how did, how did you guys deal with it afterwards? Did you, first of all, did you lose teachers from that? Um, did the, did your movement get stronger? Did anything come in the future? Yeah. So what happened? And, and for us, like, I view that that's a, so when we think of wins, right? Whenever you, you build out campaign, campaigns, you think about, okay, what are the wins? I mean, the wins, 50% of the majority of the win for me personally was that we built this structure that could be used whenever we needed it, right? Like we built this movement, we built this beautiful solidarity network. Um, and so what happened, and, and we also secured over $400 million that were not there before. I mean, that's a win. When you think wow. of the dollars that come with this package, that's a win. And my memory is starting to fade because it was two years ago of the actual dollar amount, somewhere in the 400 million range. Um, so that's a win, right? Like we pushed the government to give us money that they would have never given before. And right. that, that's a huge win. I mean, that's a concession. And so what happened is, the um, the union, Arizona Education Association, had a ballot initiative called Invest in Ed. So that ballot initiative was to raise taxes on the wealthiest 1% in Arizona, so people making over $250,000, um, to tax them a little bit more to increase um, their income taxes, and then generate $690 million, if I can remember the actual number because right now the ballot initiative is back and asking for much more money this time. So back then in 2018, the first round of invest in ed ballot initiative was to generate a, a sustainable funding source through this taxing proposal 
to then put $690 million annually into the school uh, funding system. And so if you think about the timeline, we had built this thing for eight weeks, we went on strike for six days, and then we immediately pivoted to gathering signatures for the ballot initiative. So there was no lag time is what I'm saying. Our, it, it kept going, we had momentum and we were pushing and we had to gather, um, oh my gosh, 150 some signatures by July 5th. So we're talking, we had six weeks to do this monumental task and we did it. We actually got 270,000 signatures by July 5th, turned in those petitions, then by August, it was kicked off the ballot by the Supreme Court for a ridiculous, tiny little language something that they found, a, you know what I mean, they just, they found a way, they crushed us. Okay, fine. So that happened in August, and then November elections were coming. So then we pivoted to elections and trying to really put our power behind canvassing and, uh, you know, really getting people to vote for pro-education candidates and using our you know, demands and the invested ed ballot initiative to be a pledge for candidates to sign on to, to say, I support these demands. I support, you know, funding education. I'll sign my name on this pledge. Okay, here's the list of people who signed this pledge. These are our candidates. And so really we had so much, so, so many things to accomplish that we never lost steam mm. until after the November 18 election. And then it was like, whoa, what was that? Like, what just happened? <laughs> you know, like, I don't even think any of us had thought of anything else for months and months and months and months. And then we got to December and we were like, okay, we're taking a break. Okay, wait, January, the legislative session starts. Okay, back in there. What do we do? You know, it was just insane. So, you know, that turned into how do we, how do we use our networks to help folks understand the legislative process and how, you know, political education was main, mainly our focus is like, what do people not know? What should they know? You know, maybe they don't know how education funding works. Okay, let's talk about budget funding. You know, just that whole political education is right. kind of where we pivoted to next. So, um, well, so tell me what the state you're in now. I'm curious how it's going with the pandemic. Um, where does all this activism lie right now with what's happening in the world right now? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so there's, I guess, I guess there's different pockets of activism happening. There's, um, you know, right now we're sort of working on this education unmasked kind of storytelling campaign right now. So that's the hashtag we're using is education unmasked. And we're trying to um, and this just launched this week. A group of our activists came together, came up with a plan of how do we tell stories of what's happening in the classrooms now? Because there's a lot of misconceptions like, oh, teachers are getting paid. They're just sitting at home. God, yeah. and really, that's ridiculous. We have literally shifted to something many of us have never done before. Right. And we did it quickly with integrity, with care, with compassion. And with the will of just thinking of how do we take care of our students at this point in time, social, emotionally, right? And so it's always good to tell those stories. And so the idea is to, um, you know, post on Facebook, tell your story, like, what is it like being on this side of remote learning? Um, and tag three friends um, that are in the same boat that you love and you care about 
that could tell their education unmasked and really just unveiling what is happening with teachers working more hours, trying to take care of their own kids while doing this. Stories of students um, not having access to technology and the equity issues and just continuing to shine that light on the inequities because if this continues, what are we gonna do about those students? Right. What are we gonna do with that? all of our kids, right? And what about social emotional needs? What about um, access to technology and devices and food, nutrition, all of those things. So we're starting right now with our new kind of campaign with just tell stories of what's going on. Right. And then like most other state groups that I've been, I also work with um, many other state educator united groups um, and we've formed, we formed a national educators united group. We're on Facebook and we have a website. Um, but so it's a bunch of us across the nation who have created these statewide United pages successfully who've come together to say, okay, what, what are we going to do moving forward? How do we build coordinated actions or how do we help educate each other? So we formed a couple committees. One is on the safe return of school. One is on austerity and budget cuts. And one is on how do you build a statewide group successfully? And then that's the group that I'm helping to spearhead for anybody who wants to learn, how do you build a statewide United page? How, what are the tactics and tools? And so people can come and learn about that. But that's like on a, a national level. Here in Arizona, um, what I've seen from other United groups that we're discussing right now, because right now we're planning this, right? Like it's not, nothing set in stone right now. We're trying to figure out the best ways to, to hear the stories and uplift the voices is surveying members and saying, what do you think should happen? What, what needs to be in place for you to be comfortable going back to school? What do your students need? And so thinking of how to survey members, have some statewide Zoom meetings to really have some breakout sessions and talk about, okay, What's it like where you are, where you are, come together. Um, so these are just ideas that we're kind of thinking about right now. Um, but we haven't, we're still in the planning stages of what comes next. But what I do know across the board is everybody is worried about going back. Yeah. And everybody needs to have their voice in those conversations. And so how do we make those spaces again? Because our, our biggest success was to open these spaces that never existed before. Right. Oh, so if I'm not part of the union, where do I go? Yeah, it's interesting that a lot of the, a lot of these places are not putting teachers in, on their executive boards in terms of making these decisions. For example, in New York, we just hired uh, Cuomo just hired Bill Gates um, yeah. to 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 run the education task force for the future of education. And I know <clears throat> just the look on your face, which people can't see. I um, saw. <laughs> yeah, which it's it's a whole story. We won't get into it, but. Um, there's not one New York City public school teacher on that board, and New York has the largest school population in the country, I think next to LA, um, and nobody's on the board. So it's, so what it leaves us, is, it, where it leaves us is that, is that we are on our own to do these things, and you're doing that right now, which is truly phenomenal. Um, the work that you're doing and what you created in Arizona, and I'm hoping that people listen to this podcast and, and know that they can go and do this in their own states with their own schools, which is 
a big reason I wanted to do this podcast is to bring people in the country together and know that even though we're in different states and we have different governors and different laws to abide for abide by in some ways, we are all united in that in that teachers do not get treated the way that teachers should be treated and they should not, you know, do not get paid enough and for what they're worth. And the work that you're doing is it's pretty amazing. And so I'm just, I'm really glad. One more question um, is how are you doing? You have how many kids? How many, three kids, three little kids? I have three kids under the age of six. Yes. How are you dealing with that really quickly with, um, with, with your work and, and having to educate your children? So one, thank goodness I'm an educator. I mean, seriously, like, thank goodness. I, I really feel for parents who are not right. And are thrown into this um, situation. Um, we, so I'm fortunate that my husband could take a leave of absence from his job. So he's here playing teacher um, while mommy helps support with resources. Uh, so we're just, we're, we got a schedule going. You know what I mean? We built the structures, but it, it's hard. I have twin three-year-olds and a five-year-old. Oh so school for, and they go to Montessori. So how do you, you can't replicate Montessori <laughs> in a virtual space. So we do a lot of outdoor work and baking and painting and art. We have art class every day. I mean, just thank goodness I have a teacher brain and I understand that kids need structure and schedules and routines and 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 we plan out things for our kids to do every day and it's hard. I mean, well, I, my heart goes out to you. I, I teach and I, I just have a dog. So, you know, she'll just, you know, she'll get upset if I'm not paying too much attention to her. But for anybody who's a parent right now, I have the utmost empathy for you. And, and I just, you know, I, we're going to wrap it up, but I just want to say yeah. thank you, Rebecca Corelli, for the work that you are doing to put um, a voice, give teachers a voice and to make this national. And I'm, I'm, you know, I will post your information and so that, people will know how to get in touch with you or if they want to do this in their own states, that's something that they can do. But the work you're doing is phenomenal. And it's such an honor to be able to interview you and to talk to you because we, um, we in New York have just so much respect for what you guys did and you're making a difference. And on the days that you don't feel like you're making a difference, know that you are, you really are. It's, it, it really means the best. You're making me want to cry. Oh, <laughs> oh, I mean, thank you for. I just got so emotional. <laughs> <laughs> they're giving a voice in a space too, and that's what needs to happen. Is we need these spaces, we need these voices. So all of us are doing the work, including this podcast. So thank yeah. you for the space and time to really okay. explain what's going on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Rebecca Gorelli, and um, I look forward to putting this out there and for people getting to know you on this and. Thanks for being part of the Warriors of Education podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was awesome. This has been the Warriors of Education podcast, dedicated to all the hardworking teachers across this country. We hear you. We see you. We honor you. Thank you.